The reading today is from Matthew 5, and it's verses 38 to um, the end of the chapter. And that's on page 970, if you want to follow along in the church Bibles. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Great, thank you so much, Cindy, for reading that passage. Uh, welcome to you who are on the live screen, live screen, live stream, stream, stream. Joining us online anyway, in whatever form, welcome. Uh, welcome to Connect and Thrive, who are with us this morning, um, and anyone in years two to five probably still. Uh, <laughs> commiserations, just hang on in there, it'll be fine, I assure you. So, uh, we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to arguably what is the jewel in the crown um, of this sermon, the command to love our enemies. The late John Stott wrote, Nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. Nowhere is our need for the power of the Holy Spirit whose first fruit is love, more compelling. And in the introduction to his comments uh, about the passage that Cindy's just read to us, uh, Stott describes the negative command of non-retaliation, do not resist an evil person, verse 39, and the positive command of active love, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, verse 44. Now, last Sunday evening, um, just a quick recap for any who weren't there, Chris Adams spoke about the negative command. So Jesus' contemporaries had taken an, an Old Testament principle which was designed for the courts, an eye for an eye, and had applied it to their personal relationships. But it's not for us to retaliate, Jesus was saying. Instead, we should show generosity and humility and service. And you can catch up with Chris's message online via the resources section of our website. This morning, we are focusing on part two, if you like, the, the positive 
command. And you may find it helpful to have your Bibles open in front of you, uh, either in paper form, on your phone, however you read your Bibles nowadays. If you're using a church Bible, it's page, page 970. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And once again, we find Jesus' contemporaries interpreting an Old Testament law to suit themselves. The law didn't say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What it said was, love your neighbor as yourself. What it says was, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. So to say love your, en- love your neighbor and hate your enemy was to add something that shouldn't be there, that word hate. And Spurgeon, the famous 19th century preacher, said the words and hate your enemy were a parasitical growth upon God's law. But it gets worse because the Jews argued that that their, their neighbor was their fellow Jew and neglected to notice that the foreigners living among them were also to be treated as their neighbors in the same way as their fellow Jews. So overall then, this saying, love your neighbor and hate yourself, was a corruption of the law, both in letter and in spirit. And instead, Jesus commands his disciples to love their enemies and to pray for their persecutors. And he points to his father's example of indiscriminate kindness. Verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God the Father shows no discrimination. The bad guys get as much sunshine as the good guys, and the good guys get as much rain as the bad guys. Now that sounds right to us, doesn't it? It sounds right to us that God shouldn't discriminate. But in practice, we don't always like it. Let's be honest honest with ourselves. You know, if we have our, our travel plans disrupted by strikes, you know, why, why our travel plans, why not theirs? Why did they get a week of sunshine? We got a week of rain. Why was their accommodation fantastic? Whereas our hotel, even the cockroaches avoided. You know, we're good Christian people. We've had a rubbish holiday. They don't even go to church. They've had a fantastic holiday. That's not fair. But God doesn't show discrimination with his kindness. He doesn't just bless the godly with a warm microclimate and send the rain on the ungodly. He doesn't send an unbearable heat wave on the righteous either and bless the crops of the unrighteous with rain. No, he treats all alike. It's as if God doesn't operate in a slot machine world. He doesn't say to you, Put your coin in, and I'll be kind to you. Play big, lots of prayers, lots of worship, play big, and win big. Lots of blessings. That's how the world operates. You, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 46, you've got to have a different attitude. If you love those who love you, well, what reward will you get? 
Not even the tax collectors are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? That's a slot machine mentality. Don't even the pagans do that. And Jesus draws their attention to two groups who are as popular today as maybe politicians, journalists, and car salesmen. Apologies to any who might be present uh, here this morning. The Jews despised the pagans because they didn't worship God and they didn't obey his law. And the Jews despised the tax collectors because they collaborated with the Roman Empire and exploited those from whom they collected taxes. And Jesus says, if all we do is adopt a slot machine approach to life, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, you play big with me, you'll win big with me, then we're no better than tax collectors and pagans. That's their approach to life. He says the tax collectors love those who love them. Of course they do. You've got to go further than that. The pagans love those who love them. Of course they do. You've got to go beyond that. You've got to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One person who took Jesus' teaching very seriously was Martin Luther King. And at his funeral, Dr. Benjamin Mays said these words. If any man knew the meaning of suffering, King knew. House bombed, living day by day for 13 years under constant threats of death, maliciously accused of being a communist, falsely accused of being insincere. Stabbed by a member of his own race. Slugged in a hotel lobby. Jailed over 20 times. Occasionally deeply hurt because friends betrayed him. And yet this man had no bitterness in his heart and no rancor in his soul. No revenge in his mind. And he went up and down the length and breadth of this world preaching non-violence and the redemptive power of love. Nonviolence and the redemptive power of love. I wonder if those words influenced John Stott's choice of non-retaliation and active love. What does active love mean? Well, Jesus applies one example when he says we are to pray for those who persecute us. And we thought about this, uh, praying for the persecuted, last month in our series on the Beatitudes. Jesus said, you may remember, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And I noted then the different forms of persecution that Jesus drew uh, attention to. Uh, he talked about insult and slander and hatred and exclusion and rejection as evil. So Jesus says that we are to pray for those who insult us. We are to pray for those who slander us. We are to pray for those who hate us, those who exclude us, those who call us uh, as, as evil, reject us as evil. I wonder if you've ever had to do this. It's hard. It's hard, firstly, because you probably don't feel love for the person who's making your life a misery. How can you? It's unnatural to feel love for someone who is intent on causing you pain. 
But Jesus isn't talking about a feeling. Jesus is talking about an action. We're not told to have warm, cuddly thoughts about our persecutors, but to pray for them. And that's hard because it goes against what we're feeling. But it's also hard because it's insistent. You pray for someone, you do your best. You pray for someone asking for a blessing on them. And the moment you've stopped praying, all of these unkind thoughts, harsh feelings come rushing back. Has anyone experienced that? So you pray again, and you pray again. And you're asking yourself as you're praying, when am I going to be rid of this anxiety? When, I'm, when am I going to be rid of this fear? When am I going to be rid of this, this anger? And so you keep on praying. And this battle in prayer can be long and hard. This is hard stuff. Maybe that's the reason that Christotom, one of the early church fathers, viewed prayer for our enemies as the highest expression as love for others. But Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? Do you remember? After he'd been falsely convicted, whipped, abused, nailed to a cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus models prayer for our enemies. So that's one very specific way that we can love our enemies. And I like to think of it as sheltered love. You know, a, a love that you can exercise from a safe, sheltered place away from the person who is hurting you. But there's also the more general call to love our enemies in the open, and sometimes face to face. So this is another kind of love in action, in words and deeds, not just in prayer. So when this kind of love is operating, when you are insulted, you return the insult with a kind word. When you're slandered, you say kind things about your persecutor behind their back. When you're hurtfully left out of things, you include them all the same. When they steal your sandwiches, you give them your crisps as well. And it all reminds me of a scene that some of you will be familiar with from Les Miserables. So the backstory for those of you who are not familiar with it is that uh, this guy, Jean Valjean, has been released from the galleys. He's been uh, locked up for 19 years. And he can't imagine how to live his life any other way than through theft and concealment. So in a moment, we're going to watch a film clip. Um, and he's looking for somewhere to sleep for the night. It's quite a long clip, just pre-warning you of that. Uh, and for copyright reasons, I'm sorry we can't show it online, but if you are following online, hopefully you will see some still images uh, with accompanying text that will tell the story for you. So with those words, over to George.
Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood god has raised you out of darkness i have saved your soul for So, Jean Valjean wasn't the bishop's enemy, let's just be clear about that. But the bishop models what Jesus is talking about in these verses in Matthew. He goes beyond the tit-for-tat kindness of the world. His silverware is stolen, and he offers Valjean his candlesticks as well. The bishop repays Jean Valjean's betrayal with grace. 
That's what love in action looks like. Well, what's the reason for these commands? In the final verse of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? Nobody's perfect, are they? How can Jesus expect us to reach the unreachable? Well, in Greek, the word teleos, translated perfect in verse 48, is the adjective from the noun telos, which means an end, a purpose, an aim, a goal. So a thing was perfect, teleos, if it fully realized the purpose for which it was planned and designed and made. So a stool that was solid, stable and comfortable could be said to be perfect, teleos. A person was perfect, teleos, if they realized their purpose. So a man who reached his full-grown stature or a student who mastered her subject were said to be teleos, perfect. So when Jesus says at the end of this section, after his negative command about non-resistance, after his positive command about loving our enemies and praying for them, when he says after those two things, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that in living a life of love, imitating the Father's love, we are fulfilling the purpose for which we have been made. Going back to verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. We were made to love God and to love one another. And if we love God, it has to be expressed in love for one another. We love, says John, because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So our God who is gracious to all, who is kind to all, who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, this God calls us likewise to be gracious and kind to all. And nowhere is this expressed more perfectly than on the cross of Calvary. Again, those familiar words that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And to the thief on the cross, whose sin, along with ours, cost the Father and Son so much pain. Truly, I tell you today, Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. One more example. Paul writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. This persecutor of Christ's followers received grace. We have received 
grace. And now the word comes to us. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So let us, with God's help, seek to live that kind of life of love, imitating the Father's love and fulfilling the purpose for which we have been made. So let me just close as I began with John Stott's words. Nowhere, nowhere is the challenge of the sermon greater. Nowhere is the distinctness of the Christian counterculture more obvious. Nowhere is our need for the power of the Holy Spirit more compelling. Amen.